You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv. Good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. I'm really um, excited to kick off the Inner Healing series and I think it's really fitting that we start with confession because uh, confession in its nature is the initial posturing of our hearts that leads to everything else that we're going to be talking about in the following, uh, following weeks. It leads to forgiveness, unto repentance and intimacy, all these different things. Um, That's right. But let's see what the scripture says about confession. Uh, I broke down the Greek a bit because there's some nuances to how confession is um, pretty much used throughout the scriptures. So I'm using a little bit of my Greek that I learned. Homologeo. That is uh, one of the verb forms of confession. That's like to acknowledge. All these mean con confess or confession, but this specifically means uh, acknowledge or like to recognize something as truth or not as truth. So the verse I put here was 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses or homologeos acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So the acknowledging factor is uh, this is the truth, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, and that verifies that that spirit is the Holy Spirit. So that is homologeo. The second... Um, verb form is eximologeo, eximologeo, I think, yeah, I got that right, okay. It means to agree, and this has a lot of different usages, so I had to stare at this one for a while, but it's like to agree, to praise, give thanks, and there's often, like Pastor said earlier, it, it ends in joy, and, um, you know, confession always gets like a bad rap, like, because you're always, you think it's about your sin, but no, sometimes it's a profession of what's inside of you. And so, eximologeo is used often in like a public context, like you're professing or you're confessing something emphatically. So, the scripture here, right, Acts 19.18, we're going to go into it more deeply later, but um, the context of that was in the city of Ephesus, there was a revival that happened. This man had a bunch of demons on him, he got delivered, and the Jews and the Greeks in Ephesus, they saw this, this is the early church time. And so they, they pretty much, the fear of the Lord came on them. They got all their magic books and all their mixtures out. They burned them in the city center and they began to publicly confess and profess yep. Jesus is Lord. They began to exemulageo, that Jesus is Lord. So it was very public and that was actually how public confession really grew as like an anchor in the early church. So we, we lost that a little bit, but uh, it's coming back. Um, the next two passages, James 5.16, uh, I'm going to go more into that a lot later, so I'm going to skip that for now. But Revelation 3.5, also you see eximologeo, and this was really interesting because you see Jesus confessing. So Reve I'm going to just read it really quickly. Um, he who overcomes, this is Jesus speaking by the way, shall be clothed in white garments, purity, and I, this is Jesus, will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will eximologeo, I will confess his name. Jesus will vouch for you before my Father and before his angels. 
So Jesus himself would confess, hey, he overcame, she overcame in, in their life. And their name is in the book of life. They have the garments of purity on them. I'm vouching for you. Jesus is going to do that when we see him face to face. That's ex homologeo. Um, and the last one, I'm not going to go into it too much. It's just a noun form. Uh, homologia, uh, a confession, agreement. There's a, lot of, there's a lot that goes in depth here with like the voluntary offering. But I left some scriptures here. If you want the verses and the slides later, I can give it to you. Um, but in light of all that, what is confession, right? It's, it seemed pretty rounded out. Confession is an acknowledgement of sin. It is a declaration or a profession of what you believe in. That's two. And three, it is an admission of sin to God or to another believer. Um, and in this case, it's going to be to another believer. And even more simply, confession is a release of what is within you. So, right, we said confession doesn't always have to be a bad thing. You know, when, when the pressure is on and when you're being squeezed, sometimes what will come out is, Jesus is Lord, I trust in him. Or, um, on the flip side, maybe you got some secret sin, or maybe you have an addiction or a habit or a thought that you haven't been able to get out of your head, or something buried deep within that you just haven't addressed, some traumatic event, so the list goes on. Um, we are very complicated people. But confession is simply a release of that, a release of what is inside of you, releasing it to God, sharing it with your brothers and sisters. Um, specifically, I guess that's, we're going to be more focused on eximologeo. And before we go further, I really want to double down that this is not like, you know, um, this is, confession is not a bad thing. Confession is actually a beautiful thing, right? We're saying that it ends in joy. Why? Because our father, we were singing about it earlier, he's not trying to get after you. He's not like watching you and waiting for you to finally own up to your mistakes and then being like, see, I told you so. You know when someone, like, like you, you know someone is just trying to correct you and then they say, see, I told you so, or they have that posture? That's not the father. His, the father's heart is that he is willing to forgive. His hand is already extended out to you. And that was displayed through the cross. So it's not an aha moment, but it's a beautiful invitation. That's right. It's an opening towards healing and forgiveness. So I'm going to talk about the Father, right? The Father wants to forgive and heal. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, it always begins with confession, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, no, sorry. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession brings what was in the dark into the light. So now we are in position to receive his forgiveness, to receive that cleansing, that cleansing that comes through the blood, which we're going to go into deeper soon. 1 John 4.19 We love him because he first loved us. Confession doesn't have to be a, I mean, it will definitely get emotional because we are, we do have emotions, yeah. but confession um, isn't like dependent on how emotional you are. Or right. God's not trying to ask you to be super sorry for all your sins, like, like, and like guilt trip you. And it's not like something like, oh man, I really need to well up something deep within. Like if it comes out, it'll be natural. But if not, you're not, you're not supposed to like muster it up. Cause that's like, that's a weird twisted, like your efforts kind of thing. 
Um, that's not how God operates. He loved us, and we respond to that love. We love him. His hand was already reached out to us. He was already for us. It's actually just up to us. Confession is us reaching back out to him. And Luke 15, the prodigal son. Um, quick recap, the prodigal son, that parable is um, Jesus was sharing it. And there was a father, a rich father, and he had uh, two sons. We're gonna, the prodigal son, he was really bad. He, was pretty much, he pretty much went up to his father and said, hey, I want my inheritance now. Which means, give me my money now, whatever you owe me when you die, so that I can just go off and be on my own. Um, so he was pretty much telling his father, you can go die, I just want my money. So the father just gave him the money, and the son went away. The son spent it on hookers, drugs, uh, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. He, it says wild living in the scriptures. And when the... Horse. Yeah. Harlots. Yeah, harlots. All, all the different synonyms for that. <laughs> yep. And um, lots of prostitutes, all, all that wild living. He spent everything. And it says, like, all his friends left him, too. So they friends. Yeah. So he got played out. He, he lost all his money, and he was eating from a pig's pen. And then he had this genius idea. Yo, my father's rich. Why don't I just go back home? And, but he's not going to accept me. Like, I already screwed up too much. How about I go and tell my father, I'm going to come as a servant or a slave. At least that's still better than what I'm living in now. So he decided to come home. And it says, from the distance, the father was watching and waiting and saw him, which means that he was waiting for him all along to come back home. And rich men didn't run. Powerful men don't run, but he ran. He ran, this old man running out to meet his son, probably dirty, pig pen filth, and he hugged him. He, he loved him, and then the son gave his speech like, oh, I messed up, accept me as a slave or a servant. The father, the father didn't even respond to that. Respond to <laughs> yeah, no response, just puts on a ring on his finger, Good. a robe on him, and says, my son has come home. The one who is dead is now alive again. Let's kill the fattened calf, make a feast. That is the heart of the father for you. He is already extended towards you. The more that that revelation sets in, that you were already loved, even when you were filthy, even when you were in sin, that's going to make confession real natural. You're not going to come in all reluctant or afraid. No, you, you are already loved. And it's not dependent on um, what kind of speech you make. You don't have to make any strategies. You don't even have to make it sound prettier. He just wants the raw. He just wants you. That's the heart of the Father. And I want to go into Exodus 34, 6, 7. I'm making it real easy. It's all right there. Um, this is when God was in, coming before Moses. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God is merciful by nature. He's gracious. He's loving. He wants to forgive iniquity. Iniquity is a sin that you planned on doing. He wants to forgive that. Your sneakiness, all your conniving, He is willing to forgive that. Transgression and sin. But by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He is merciful, but he's not just a pushover. He, he is merciful because he also knows justice. 
There is that balance. And so how did he clear the guilty? I mean, this is the basic gospel. Jesus, Jesus, John 3.16, he made that way for us. He made a way for us through his son coming down, dying, taking on our guilt, our iniquity, because that was the only way. And it says here, he made a way for us to confess our sins, be healed and forgiven. It begins with confession. Confession is under the shadow of the cross. Confession is a tool, it's a right that we can come into because of Jesus, because of what he's done for us. Confession is an illuminating tool. Uh, it's, it's an illuminating tool of the kingdom. And again, it's the first step towards forgiveness, repentance, and inner healing. Jesus paid for this, so we can't leave confession off the table. We have to apply it. We have to use it. So, I'm jumping around a lot in the scripture, but I'm going to be grounded here now. Um, so, if you are following your Bibles, you can stick around on this, because this is the main beef of it. 1 John 1, 5 to 9. So verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is a lot of contrast between light and darkness, the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of Satan. It, it all comes down to this, right? Uh, this is the clearest way to understand it, to visualize it. James 1.17, the father introduces himself as the father of lights. In the book of John, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And he even says to the church, to his people, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. He even goes further and says, hey, don't cover your lamp. A lamp doesn't put itself under a lampshade, but it lets its light shine. See, like, if I went over there and turned off the lights right now, the room would be dark, right? But if I went back and turned it on, it would immediately be light. There is no battle between light and darkness. When light enters the room, the darkness goes away immediately. So logically, even if you think about it, if he is the father of lights. There can be no darkness in him. And if he is in us, if his light is fully embodying every part of our hearts, of our lives, then we as people should, wherever we go, be shining that light and changing the atmosphere. Darkness has to go. That is the authority that we carry. That is the authority of the kingdom of heaven the light, the kingdom of the light. Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, let me go to this slower. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That doesn't even make sense. You can't be um, turning on the lights and seeing a pocket of darkness somewhere. It's the same concept uh, as well. Oh. I like to look at the human heart or even this human soul like a house sometimes, right? Let's say um, you accept Jesus as your Lord and now Jesus comes into your dirty house and he says, I'm going to live in that. I'm going to make my home in there and dwell, right? And now his light is within you. That dark house was now lit up. But say you got like three stories in this house and there is a few rooms in like the third floor that you just keep locked up. And you say, okay. yeah, Jesus, you don't have to go into those rooms. We, we can keep those hidden for now. The rest of the house looks good. It's tidied up. It's clean. Um, what happens then? There is no in-between. Those rooms stay dark. Whatever you were trying to keep locked up in there, it's dark. And there's a real irony to this because 
um, darkness, right? What's the, what's the per you, you think in the darkness, you're able to hide things. You're able to hide whatever secret sin or addiction or painful traumatic memory from the past or some lie that you believe. You think you're able to hide it. But the irony is that when you keep things in the dark, like you're pretty much like shining like these, like a huge flashlight. Pretend like it's like an airstrip and you're telling Satan and all these demons like, yo, right here is where you can mess with me. <laughs> right here is where you can land. It's an access point for you to come and touch it. It's, it's, it's where I'm soft. It's where I'm vulnerable. If you were like having a city and like you had, a, you had a wall and you had one big area that was a big hole and you're like, oh, no one's gonna see it, it's dark. That, it, that's, no, that's your vulnerable point. And if I was your enemy, that's where I'd attack. That's right. So we need to think about it like this. There is only light and dark. And what's ironic is that when you think it's dark, Everyone can see it. Everyone can see it. <laughs> exactly. So, darkness, right? Darkness is a breeding ground for shame, for accusation, for guilt, condemnation. Why? Right? Because, like I just said, you left your garbage there. You left things in the dark there. And because of that, who's going to come in and mess with you? Who's going to come in and speak in those areas? The voice of the accuser. It's like a trial room. Um, Satan himself is like the accuser. And we are already guilty. So we're on trial. We're already on trial and we're going to lose. We need the blood of Jesus to cover those areas. But if we're trying to keep things in the dark, we're not receiving the grace, receiving the forgiveness in those areas and receiving the fullness of the healing that Jesus already paid for and we can appropriate into those dark spaces. So we need to recognize that darkness, that's what it breathes, that's what it opens up, right? Um, there's a little quick little flow thing. Hidden sin, uh, your brokenness, whatever that could be, it, again, an addiction, uh, a painful memory from the past, something you never dealt with, a soft spot. You know, when, when you choose to hide that, that's you leaving that in the darkness. That's you carrying that with you in the darkness. And the thing about that is that always leads to isolation. You are literally saying, Jesus, you can't touch this. And if Jesus can't touch it, who else is going to touch it? Who else is going to know about it? You're hiding it from people. And what does that do? That isolates you. That hides you away from fellowship, from the fellowship with God and with each other. So Genesis 3, you, we, we see this really clearly. Right when, um, right when Adam, oh, right when Adam and Eve eat the apple and they, uh, they realize they messed up, I'm going to start in verse 7. It says, Genesis 3, 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is the first time that when God came down to hang out with Adam, Adam ran away. This is the first time when Adam heard the voice of God, heard for him calling, that there was fear that came into Adam's heart. Why? 
because he sinned, because he was trying to hide his sin from the Lord. He was trying to hide and stay away. It immediate, hidden sin always cuts off fellowship. It cuts off and limits the level of intimacy, which we're going to talk about later, that you can have with God. Because you're literally saying, God, not too much closer. So it's, it's you that's putting a stiff arm out to God. Um, and so that is what breaks when, with, between Adam and God. Between Adam and God. God and man. That fellowship is broken. Verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. So now Adam's blaming God for the woman, and he's blaming the woman, saying, She's the one that ate it, and you're the one that gave her to me. So, <laughs> sorry. So automatically, it's up. Enmity between God and like Adam and Eve. And so we have enmity and fellowship being broken between God and man, and enmity and fellowship being uh, enmity forming and fellowship being broken between each other. That's the nature of hidden sin. That's the nature of the darkness. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He who covers his sins will not prosper. Covering your sin literally leads to death. Deborah mentioned this a few months ago, but. Even those fig leaves that they tried to cover themselves with, Adam and Eve, those fig leaves actually released a poisonous irritant onto the skin. So what they tried to cover themselves with, it literally caused more problems and it caused more pain. That's what we look like when we're trying to cover our own sins up, when we're trying to hide things. It'll take away your prosperity and literally strip, and strip away what Jesus was trying to do for you. It's, it's us not take, taking hold of it, lambanoing it. But whoever confesses it always starts with confession and forsakes them will have mercy it always starts with confession acknowledging i sinned i have sinned against you lord and then from that place forgiveness repentance intimacy it follows i want to i want to go back again now to to shame i think um i listed before um a lot of the different things that can breed in the darkness, like um, guilt, condemnation. I feel like shame is a really nasty one. And it messed with me for a long time, too. Shame, the voice of shame says, I don't have what it takes. It also says, if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. Or if you knew the things that I had done in my life, you wouldn't accept me. Shame, those things, that, that voice is not something you can make peace with you have to put it to death. That's right. What does that mean, right? You can't make peace with it, meaning you can't tolerate that in your ear, in your mind all your life. That is not natural. That is not of God. That is of Satan. And that is of death. That's why the only place it belongs is death. Shame is pride that's wrapped up in self-disgust. What do I mean by that, right? When, when you're full of shame, the essence of shame is that it's all about you. It's all about it's all about me. It's, it's, it, when, you're, when you're full of shame, what, your head's down? The only thing that you can see are your feet. All, the only thing you can see is yourself. Yep. It's, shame says, man, this is what I can do, or this is what I can't do. This is what I have done, and this is what I haven't done. You're always sizing yourself up, and you're only looking at yourself. And so it's only a matter of time before you're, you have self-disgust. It's, it's a vicious cycle. And then even from that place, you know, you, 
it evolves later into things like, yo, like, I don't need anyone. No one, like, no one's gonna get to know me or something, or, or like, you get hurt, I don't need anyone, blah, blah, blah. Like, it ends up with this false self-reliance, but it's always about yourself. It's always about you. And if we're gonna take this even further now, um, I would go as far as to say that the root of addiction is always shame. Whatever addictions you might have, a lot of it, a lot of it is undergirded by shame. What do I mean by that, right? You, you're, all, you're only relying on yourself. You're all about you. You're, all you have is you. After a while, you realize you is not enough. So you start reaching out to different things to try to um, fill up whatever emptiness you have. It could be uh, alcohol, drugs, porn, woman, whatever the addiction is. It, it's just symptomatic of this emptiness that's inside of you. And then what happens? Oh, now the voice of the enemy comes in. Oh, look at those things you did. You nasty boy, you nasty girl, blah, blah, blah. Nasty, nasty. And then you're like, wow, no one can know about this. That cycle continues again. Shame is really disgusting. Shame is what needs to be broken for addiction to begin to be broken. What, is, what does that mean? That means transparency. That means bringing it into the light, right? Psalm 32, uh, this is David. Uh, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. You ever, um, you ever messed up real badly? Or you ever, um, you ever did something you felt ashamed of and you just kept it to yourself? That's that bones groaning. That's that bones growing old. That's that weight, that unnatural spiritual weight that you feel within your soul because you're not supposed to hold on to those things. You're supposed to release it to the Lord. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. When you're holding on to those things, now you're walking in the darkness and it's, it's not God just pushing against you, it's you pushing against God. You are literally uh, against him at this point. So his hand is against that, that thing that you're doing. So that's what he's saying. Your hand is, God's hand was heavy upon him. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. This isn't no Psalm 1, uh, blessed is like the tree planted by streams of living water. This is, you're, you're not near any water right now. You're, your life is dried out. You are, it's a hot sun. It's, it's a drought. You are, you are dying. So what does he do? I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess. Confession is always the first step. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what does the Lord do in response? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. I want to just say, like, if, you're, if you have sensitivity around any past sins, any addictions, past or current, or even traumatic events that happened to you, sin done to you, if there's any sensitivity around that, you need healing. Yes. And yes. if you feel any shame around these areas, even in the slightest, you need healing. But that's why we're doing this. Um, that's why this is the work of the Lord, because it was literally what Jesus paid for. for it's not just salvation. He, he wanted us to prosper. He wanted us to be healthy and whole. So I'm just saying that now, not to point a finger, but as a direct, hey, if you're sensing this or you're feeling this or you're thinking this, you, you likely need healing. 
which is, which is fine. It's good to acknowledge it. Um, continuing back with 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, that light-dark contrast, as he is in the light, now we can have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, we're now in the graces of the light of God. The blood of Jesus can wash over us and cleanse us from all sin because now we are walking in the light. We're not trying to hide anymore. We are walking in the light. He is the light. Ephesians 8, uh, 5, 8 to 14. It's a bit long, but I thought this was so good. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it. Uh, For you were once darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. I love that. He doesn't say you were in the darkness. He says you were darkness. <laughs> and then he says, now you're light. Now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And it's going to be natural that you expose them because if you're walking in the light, I mean, you're just going to make bright whatever is dark around you. So by nature, light manifests whatever is, is there already, whatever is already in the room, in the atmosphere. Uh, verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. 13, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Only light can make manifest. Yeah, I love that. Um, therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Christ will literally, like, he paid for this. He'll give it to you. He'll come into you. He'll make residence in you. And he is the light of the world. And so that will make you the light of the world too. That is, it's, yeah, it's, it's the good news. So what is walking in the light? I think a major element of this is just confession to one another. Um, Acts 19, 18 again, right? That church in Ephesus. Um, it says, and many who had believed came confessing Examalageo and telling their deeds. Uh, fun fact, um, the money was, the magic books that they destroyed and all that nasty stuff, that was worth 50,000 silver coins, which in modern day, I looked up, it was around like 10 to 15 million US dollars. So in one day, they destroyed everything that was, they confessed their sin, they confessed publicly, it says, their deeds, and then they destroyed everything and they turned and then they gave themselves to the Lord. Beautiful. James 5.16, confess, examalageo, your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It starts with confession again. Confess your wrongs. Pray for one another for healing. Healing is the children's bread. Healing was what the Lord paid for, and confession opens the door towards that. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I think um, there's a little bit of a nuance to this now. I think the reality is that um, we, we do need to have some wisdom of who we bring our stuff to, right? Like, um, right. we learned it here, like, crap moves up in the kingdom. Um, there is, yep. there isn't, you don't, you don't bring your stuff to people who can't help you. Right. You need to kind of have a little bit of sense and discernment <laughs> of 
who, who do I bring my stuff to, right? And righteous man, a fervent prayer of a righteous man. What does that mean? I would say just someone who's spiritually mature, someone who's, who walks in spiritual maturity, which is someone who's wise, compassionate, confidential, so they're not just, just going to hear what you say and then start blabbing about it to everyone. You know, they can, they can be confidential unless you give them permission to share what, whatever you shared. And firm. I think this is really important, being firm, because one of the worst things yep. that you can say to someone, yep. there's two things that are not firm. Someone shares something with you and you go, oh, that's not so bad. That's the worst thing you could say to someone. You never tolerate their sin. You never tolerate the severity of their sin or try to lessen it. That's, that's not, that's not Christ-like at all. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. On the, on the flip end, um, another weird bad, bad thing to do is freak out. Like someone says something, you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck? <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that's, both extremes are just, you don't want to do those things. Like, you want to think firm? Think about Jesus, right? Anytime Jesus addressed someone who sinned, whether it was the, the adulterous woman or uh, whoever it was, there was a firmness where he wasn't excusing their sin. He wasn't like going like, it's okay, you know, oh, I, I don't know. Like he wasn't trying to be all nice to them about it. But he was at the same time um, firm, and he wasn't freaking out. Jesus does not freak out, so we're not we're not called to freak out either. So that's what it means to be firm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the man, he um, he said, anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother rankest i think that means really really bad um stank and um it's simply the more you realize the weight of your own sin yeah um dietrich bonhoeffer was a german spy who was pretty much trying to assassinate hitler <laughs> and he was standing against hitler uh, one of the few Germans to stand against him during World War II when a lot of the Christians, almost all the Christians in the church were for Hitler. Yeah. And so he was a rare minority that went against that and, and was imprisoned and wrote a lot of amazing things towards the end of his life and he was killed um, for standing against Hitler. Yeah. So that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, we, the more you understand the weight of your own sin, the more it, it keeps you humble. You know, so when you hear things from other people, when you hear nasty things, it, it keeps you in a place where you're not like spiritually superior to them, where you're not like, wow, like, ew, I would never do that. What's wrong with you? Like, that's not the heart of Christ. And like, I'm just being real, like that can come out of people. Like, when you hear some really nasty stuff, like, you'd be surprised what can come in from within your heart, you know? And that just shows more like, the the dreadfulness of your it was your sin it was my sin that nailed jesus to the cross the more that sinks in the more you you can't be haughty you can't be prideful and you can't look down on anyone That's right. like anyone so verse eight and nine if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not not in us if we confess our sins 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why confession? Confession is the initial posture, it's the initial position unto forgiveness, unto repentance, unto the healing that Jesus paid for. Why confession? It breaks off those access points and strongholds, right? The, um, we talked about the darkness being an open space for shame, lies, condemnation, addictions. I'm going to briefly just like explain quickly what an access point or stronghold is. Um, say you... Say you're, you know, it's that airstrip analogy again where you're shining a light and you're saying, hey, like, this is an area I'm going to keep in the dark. And, like, and then Satan's like, I'm going to mess with him there. When you don't deal with it and you keep on keeping things in the dark and you continue to reinforce whatever cycle or whatever pain or whatever hiddenness that you're doing, that ends up turning into a stronghold. Like, uh, the enemy will be like, yo, that's a really good spot for us to infiltrate into his mind, into her heart. So we're going to keep going back there. And when that continues to happen over and over again, and that voice of shame or the lies or condemnation, when it keeps repetitively happening in that same manner, that's a stronghold. And that's why confession helps to break that. It helps to break those access points. It helps to break that stronghold. Um, why confession? It creates a space to contemplate the severity of your sin. I think sometimes um, it's easy to, if you live a lot, a life of sin, or you do something habitually, it's easy to not think about it and just keep doing it. But when you, when you speak it out, and when you begin to just verbalize exactly what it is, When you begin to hear it, oh, check, check. When you begin to hear it for yourself, like from your own words and let it hit into your ears, the severity of your sin, it weighs differently. It, it, it helps you take it more seriously. So that's why confession is space to contemplate the severity. Why confession? It increases discernment. I think um, this goes back to going to a wiser person sometimes or a more mature person. Um, there's sometimes when you're, just, when you're just so caught up in your own head and your own heart that you just, and, or you just believe something for so long that you just think of it as truth. But when you share it with someone, like for example, like I will go to pastor, I will go to DK and share things on my heart. And when they say things to me, the, um, if, I, if I'm struggling with it, they'll point out a perspective I missed. They'll say something that like, oh, they'll help me sometimes separate, oh, that's not really, that's not really truthful, or that's not really foundational, that's not really of God. And uh, it increases your own discernment because then you realize, oh, I've been believing that lie. So it increases discernment, it shines a light into those lies. And really quickly, right, it, um, it helps, I think it's important to discern conviction and condemnation. And a very simple way I like to put it is conviction is when the Lord convicts your heart, it's usually a very specific unconfessed sin. It's usually very specific, like he's putting his finger on something. That for me, it's very often that's conviction. 
Condemnation is like a bunch of random generalizations about who you are. That's the voice of the enemy and like trying to find some way to throw you off, off tilt. For me, that helps me discern conviction and condemnation. Uh, that's just a little side thing. And lastly, why confession? It strengthens koinonia, the fellowship, the community that we have with God and the church. We can walk with one another in the light. In, in fellowship, the fellowship that Adam broke between him and God and him and, and Eve. Jesus paid for that. That's our portion too. Uh, another quote, Tim Keller, um, very conservative, but super theologically sound uh, minister who passed away, I think, last year. But he really uh, impacted my life a lot. But he said this, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I think we need to just let that sit. Let that sink in. I don't know what the Lord is highlighting for you or what thoughts come into your heart or your mind or the things that you might try to keep hidden, but you're loved. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to heal you. He wants you to be free. That's what he paid for. And I still, I can admit, I still don't even fully recognize this, you know, how loved and accepted I am. I, I, that's something I feel like just as I get older and more mature, I'll, I'll probably know it in a more and more profound way. But that's the beauty of it. We can't even comprehend it, how far he would go for us. I mean, we've seen it through the cross, but he, he loves you. He loves us. And again, the more that that sinks in, the more that confession will just kind of roll off. It's natural. So um, there's some time. Before we go into groups, I just want to pray real quick. And then... Um, I have some questions that we can do in groups of three, uh, same gender, or biological, male or male kind of thing. <laughs> but I'll pray for us. He, him. <laughs> he, him. <laughs> yeah, so I don't even want to say much. I just want to ask Holy Spirit, just highlight things in our heart and mind that you want to shine light on that you want to bring to the light i ask that your gaze father would move on the hearts of your people and that your hand would bring attention to the areas that you want us to confess and heal